Well, hi there. It's Alan Carter. Happy anniversary, COVID. Well, not so happy. Let's get to all the things I learned this week on the Alan Carter Radio Program. 2019, another number. Happy anniversary, ladies and gentlemen. Happy anniversary. It was just a year ago. It was just a year ago that you you went from just being novel to being, well, deadly and dull, deadly dull, from a novel coronavirus. And I, I do recall a year ago in my job as news anchor, I believe on the air I called it Novel. I thought it was... I thought it was more exotic in that way. Novel coronavirus. No, it was novel. It sure ain't novel anymore. It was just more than a year ago that all we were talking about was the 2019 NCOV. And then, oh, you were upgraded, weren't you? The CO standing for corona. The VI for virus. The D for disease. The 19 for the year that it was discovered. What possibly can I get you to mark the anniversary of this, Dr. Ted? We have therefore made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. Oh, Dr. Tedros from the World Health Organization that was one year ago. It is a pandemic. And this is what I said. Thankfully, I was able to pronounce things correctly. But this is what I said one year ago on Global News, on the evening newscast. It has been a landmark day in the global fight against COVID-19. The coronavirus outbreak, now officially called a pandemic by the World Health Organization. In Canada, there are more than 100 cases, nearly half of them here in Ontario. That is yours truly on the Global News evening newscast one year ago tonight. And that case count sounded terrifying at the time, but and put that into perspective and what we've seen over the year, we now know what terrifying truly is. Coming up, your opportunity to tell me where you were a year ago. One year ago, when this all came down, when you finally realized, as I think a lot of us did, realized suddenly, wait a second, this whole coronavirus is not some sort of science fiction novel happening on a planet called Wuhan. It's here, and it's going to have a big impact on our lives your opportunity to weigh in on that. And in our next segment, we are at this real crossroads again because one thing we've learned in the last year from you, Mr. Novel Coronavirus, one-year anniversary, what have we won? What have we learned? We've learned that this pandemic, you know, every time we get some good news, we get some equally frightening news. And so right now we have case counts coming down overall, the percent positivity, not too bad, except for we're seeing variants going up and there is a story beneath the story. And we're going to tell you about that. Uh, Dr. Andrew MacArthur from McMaster University is also going to talk about this new news from AstraZeneca out of Denmark and Norway, where they've stopped giving out the shot. Now that's scary because people in Ontario are lining up as we speak outside of pharmacies to get what? The AstraZeneca shot. So what does that mean? We're going to get to that. Also, uh, Isaac Bogosh is with us. Uh, weigh in on that AstraZeneca news. All of that is coming up on the Alan Carter radio program. But let's get to our top story. Because right now in the north 
of this province, there is a completely different situation underway than is what is happening in Toronto and Peel. And it is incredibly instructive for us as we begin to look at the fact that, yes, we have relaxed um, restrictions. We're allowed to shop in non-essential stores once again. Well, right now I can tell you, here's top news from today. Ontario has activated the emergency break for Sudbury and put it back into gray lockdown. That region's case rate has increased by 54%. Meanwhile, in Thunder Bay, 48 new cases there, but there is a petition in Thunder Bay that has been launched to try and convince the province to name that area, that public health unit, as a COVID-19 hotspot and to get more resources in there. Joining me on the line to tell me about more about what's going on is in Thunder Bay is the mayor of Thunder Bay, Bill Morrow. Welcome, Mayor. Well, thank you for having me. What uh, are you petitioning the provincial government to do? Well, there is a petition that's been started online by some constituents in the city of Thunder Bay, but from from the corporate perspective, clearly um, we are looking for more vaccine. We have, you know, one of the highest rates of uh, of COVID in the province, if not the highest rate. Understanding Sudbury just had some some difficult news today as well. So given the policies that have been articulated previously uh, by the province in terms of when you're in a red or when you are in a gray lockdown designated area that as larger amounts of the vaccine become available that proportionally those areas would receive more vaccine to to get it into their population so that that's kind of where we're going and i think a lot of this was was generated by yesterday's announcement around the astrazeneca piece and a couple of pilot programs that were being um, you know, begun and, and Thunder Bay with one of the highest rates not being included in the pilot. So there may be reasons for that. I've reached out to Minister Elliott's office. We're going to have a chat tomorrow with her chief of staff. But it's raised some questions within the community as to why we weren't included. And I think it indicates why that particular petition that you've referenced got started. I'm going to play for you what uh, the minister said to some questions about the mm-hmm. situation at Thunder Bay in just a second. But what is driving uh, the case counts there, Mr. Mayor. Is it uh, a variance, or w- what's your understanding about the the spread? Yeah. yeah, I'm not not so sure that it's the variant. Clearly, we're in a position of broad community spread. Uh, I guess it's a month or six weeks ago. I don't recall now when when the local public health unit here declared uh, two outbreaks. Uh, one uh, in the correctional facilities. We have two of them in the city of Thunder Bay. And then also she declared a second outbreak in the vulnerable population. So I think there's a correlation there for sure. I couldn't say causation, but but certainly a correlation there between where we were at about that time and, and where we are now. So, but it's certainly in the, in the broader community. It was in the schools. I mean, the decisions to reopen the schools, I think. And a lot of people wanted that decision to be made, to be fair. Um, but, but I think the number of variables have now influenced the number and where we're at. Speaking with Bill Morrow, who is the mayor of Thunder Bay, this is Christine Elliott uh, responding to a question yesterday about the situation in your city. We're certainly well aware that there's a very difficult situation with COVID cases in Thunder Bay. Uh, we are working uh, with uh, the local uh, uh, chief medical officer of health there, as well as with the federal government. I had a discussion with Minister Haidu about Thunder Bay yesterday, and so they are providing some supports, as are we. We have sent in an additional uh, 
case and contact managers and uh, people to do the follow-up to help support, as well as some of the public health units that aren't particularly as busy with COVID right now, that they can provide some support by phone as well. That is Christine Elliott, the Minister of Health for the province of Ontario, responding yesterday to a question about the situation in Thunder Bay on the line is the mayor of Thunder Bay. Bill, have you seen the supports that the province is talking about on the ground? There's been some. Um, I think we are still looking for more. Uh, Additionally, yes, the the federal piece, we've reached out to the federal government, and we're we're hoping to be in a position to make an announcement there in the near future, hopefully some positive news in that regard. That assistance, though, Alan, is related to the isolation situation where our District Social Services Administration Board is trying to manage uh, the isolation situation where people are being a bit segregated because they don't necessarily have some place to go and be isolated. That assistance is related to that situation. It's related to isolation. You know, I think the questions though for us still remaining in the community and, and we'll be looking to get some certainty as to why we weren't included in the pilots related to AstraZeneca And also, I understand there's another program rolling out on Saturday where primary care providers will be given some capacity to provide vaccinations as well. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about vaccines. We are all in this together. I understand the province and other areas of the province are challenged as well, not just about Thunder Bay, but we are in a difficult circumstance. Thunder Bay has a very high rate, if not the highest rate of infection per per 100,000. And so we are designated as red and gray. We are in the gray zone. This is part of their policy. So we're hopeful that this leads to a larger proportion of the vaccines finding its way into Thunder Bay so that we can get the community vaccinated. This is the ultimate solution for us. It's the ultimate solution for all of us, of course, but uh, that's what we're about right now. And that's where our our advocacy is focused. From from your perspective, is, is the government not focusing enough on the North? Well, I, I think that we've just seen, um, you know, what, what Sudbury is going through right now. I think that the, the answer to your question will be determined in the days and the weeks ahead. People are, and, and I don't want to make this about an us or a them dis- decision or a discussion. As I've mentioned, we know that the entire province is looking for and anxious to receive vaccine from the provincial government. My focus is that they have articulated months ago that if you are in a red or a gray designated color-coded area of the province that you will receive a larger proportion of the vaccines as they become available. So it seems like we are there now. It seems like there are larger doses now available with more amounts to come. So the answer to your question will be determined in the near term and and perhaps the longer term, but as long as we're in the gray designated area, as well as others like Sudbury, Toronto, we understand when you're designated that way, it's a good policy. Let's roll it out and let's stay consistent with it. Bill Morrow is the uh, mayor of Thunder Bay. And uh, for our listeners, obviously, we're talking to people in the GTA. Uh, Bill, your your takeaway, I mean, here in the city of Toronto and in Peel in the GTA, we've seen case counts come down. And we, as, we, as I've mentioned, we've now moved into a, the new modified gray so we actually can shop and uh, non-essential stores again. What's your message for us about the experience in Thunder Bay and the, how quickly the case counts have gone up? Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that Toronto is seeing some reduction in their numbers. I think, you know, one of the other pieces, of course, of, of having spiking numbers um, and seeing your community designated as gray 
is that a number of businesses get completely shuttered. And for them, of course, this is completely, completely a difficult circumstance for them to be in. What is unfortunately being proven now is that our numbers have not necessarily come down. And while those businesses have been closed, they will begin to make the argument that they are not necessarily contributing to the case numbers. So it's a very difficult circumstance. Again, I want to leave, leave you with the point. We, we appreciate that we're all in this together, uh, that there are other areas of the province uh, that require attention. We appreciate that. We understand that. But while we're in this gray lockdown zone, the people that are asking me questions in Thunder Bay are curious as to why we weren't included into the AstraZeneca piece. I'm, I'm hoping to have a conversation with the minister or her office today or tomorrow to get an explanation for that. And there may well be a good explanation. I'll, I'll look forward to having a chat with her office. But ultimately their policy does indicate if you're gray, you get a larger proportion of the vaccines were gray. My community is reaching out to me to ask why to this point we weren't included in those pilots that were announced yesterday. There may be good answers to that. Uh, hopefully we have those answers in the near term. Bill, thanks for coming on and keeping us up to date what's going on in your city. Please be well. I appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. That is Bill Morrow, who is the mayor of Thunder Bay, as we get a, a sort of a snapshot of what is happening in the northern portion of the province. Oh, happy anniversary, COVID. Let's see, what is the traditional gift for one year? It's paper. Right, yeah. Here's a nice card that says you suck, COVID-19. I hope that uh, next year you're in the rearview mirror. And we can, I'm just calling, I'm calling a divorce lawyer right this second, COVID-19, because it's over. I'm telling you, it's over. It may not be over this very second, but sooner or later, I'm going to get a piece of paper that says, I've been inoculated against you. And that, goodbye. All right, let's get you up to date on some really important news with COVID-19 and specifically with AstraZeneca. Health authorities in Denmark and Norway have now temporarily suspended the use of the AstraZeneca vaccine after reports of the formation of blood clots in some who have been vaccinated. It's very concerning. This move comes after Austria stopped using just a batch of AstraZeneca. Now, keep in mind, that's a batch. It's not the full thing, but one batch of AstraZeneca shots while investigating a death from coagulation disorders and an illness from an embolism. That's a blood clot fancy way. Uh, Danish health authorities say the country's decision to suspend the shots for two weeks comes after a 60-year-old woman in Denmark who was given the AstraZeneca shot from the same batch that was used in Austria, again, we're back to that same batch, formed a blood clot and died. Now, the Minister of Health, Christine Elliott, just moments ago was asked about this. Of course, you know, in the province of Ontario right now, there are people between the ages of 60 and 64 as we speak getting the AstraZeneca shot. So what is the province of Ontario going to do considering this news? Here is the Minister of Health. AstraZeneca has been approved by Health Canada for both uh, safety and efficacy, and we uh, don't have any plans to discontinue AstraZeneca at this time. However, we will be following the investigation and working with Health Canada to determine if any changes need to be made in, in Ontario's plan. But we are continuing with our AstraZeneca inoculations, and we know that several million doses have already been administered around the world with no adverse effects. That is Christine Elliott, the Minister of Health for the province of Ontario. The administering of AstraZeneca will continue. 
The other thing that the minister had to say is that Ontario's case counts, new case counts, 40% of the new case counts are variants of concern. The, the minister saying, quote, they're doing everything we can to prevent a third wave. So we have two tracks of information here we need to really dig into, what's going on with AstraZeneca, what's going on with the variants of concern. Dr. Andrew MacArthur is a professor and researcher at McMaster University. Welcome to the program, doctor. Hi there, how are you? I'm good. Can Are you comfortable starting with this AstraZeneca news and your takeaway from that? Sure. You know, so uh, my job is really is finding these variants of concern and tracking, but how they relate to vaccines is always important. Uh, but with any vaccine and drug rollout, you know, we always look for adverse effects. And really, in most cases, we only find them when we get to high usage numbers or we see a batch effect. It's possible. Uh, we've actually used AstraZeneca in very large numbers globally with extremely low adverse effect rates. Uh, and so when we see this decision today, it, it's an anomaly. You pause, you take a look, you make sure what's, that there's nothing systematically wrong. But do I have any concerns? Not really. I want to play this for you. This is Dr. Isaac Bogosh uh, basically answering the very same question. Scotland, for example, gave 450,000 doses of AstraZeneca, uh, and the rest of the UK has given hundreds of thousands of additional doses. So we haven't heard of this issue in other countries who are using the exact same vaccine. Is there something there? Is there not something there? I think it's way too soon to, to know. That is Isaac Bogosh, who is actually part of the provincial vaccine table. And on the line is Dr. Andrew MacArthur. Uh, Dr. MacArthur, there's a, a lot of people who actually have appointments right now between the ages of 16 and 64. They're going to hear this news and they're going to say to themselves, I don't know if I want this. What's your advice to them? Uh, my advice is still get the vaccine that's offered. I think it's really important uh, to get a, the initial partial immunity to drive hospitalization and deaths down. Uh, I agree with the, the statement just made. We have used this in massive numbers without adverse effects. We have seen this, this occurrence in Scandinavia, which they're going to pause and take a look, but you will see them resume using AstraZeneca once they figure out what's going on. Let's turn our minds to the uh, variants of concern and that 40% number of the new cases actually variants of concern. What does that mean? Yeah, so this is really scary. So long term, I have you know optimism that mass vaccination will work and will drive down the numbers both in Canada and globally and win this fight. In the short term, we are under a very large threat of the third wave. Uh, now, you know, in a room together for 15 minutes with poor ventilation, your chances of infection just double because of the 117. And we know it is uh, increasingly dangerous. It's between a 30 and 70 percent increased mortality rate. Uh, so as we try and struggle and reopen our economy and make very difficult decisions, the pandemic just changed. It's not the pandemic it was in November. It is more infective and it is more dangerous and we're under high threat. Speaking with uh, Dr. Andrew MacArthur, who is a researcher and professor at McMaster, later on today we get new modeling numbers from Dr. Steiny Brown. And what they have indicated is because of the variants, even under a best-case scenario, we're going to be over 4,000 cases by the end of March. Is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, that's from the from the biological side and the data out of England and everyone else, the 117, that is a very reasonable expectation. The modeling table has rarely been wrong. Uh, and so uh, that's exactly what I'm frightened of. I'm, uh, the numbers, you know, are not going down anymore, and it's likely the 117, and it's really hard to get it back under control. Uh, can, you, can you give us a little hope here? I know we got the vaccine. I know we're in a race here, but are we going to get the vaccine into the vulnerable populations 
faster than 117 can spread. Yeah, I think it's like what you said. The relationship is definitely over, but the divorce is going to take a while. Uh, Right now, we all got to tighten up and do everything we can to reduce transmission, to not have parties, to be safe at work, do everything because it's riskier. We need to buy time uh, to get the mass vaccination, which, as you see, every week goes by and more vaccines are improved. This is going to accelerate. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to a, a good summer and an early fall. Then when flu season and, and, and season comes back, we might see a rise in cases again of un, unvaccinated or, or people that only get partial immunity. But uh, the worst is right now, but the best is coming very soon. The best is yet to come. One of my favorite Sinatra tunes. Appreciate that. Thank you, Dr. MacArthur. Appreciate you being on today. Thanks so much. That is Dr. Andrew MacArthur. who is a professor and researcher at McMaster University. We are in a race right now. We're in a race to get the vaccine into arms as fast as possible before the VOCs overtake us. And this news out of Norway and out of Denmark is not good because even with the Minister of Health, as you just heard, saying we're going to continue to inject it here, we're going to continue to follow the advice from Health Canada, there is going to be a reluctance, an increased reluctance now, and that is the wrong thing, that's a dangerous thing. We need to get people inoculated as quickly as possible. What is this racist family doing on my money anyway? What is what is going on? I mean, Granny's not so bad, but the rest of them, goodness. Hey, welcome to life under the double-decker bus, royal family. Why should I care? Why should I care? Why should you care? I know you got your hand up. I'm like, why? Why are, we ta- why are we talking about this? I'm going to tell you exactly why this is important. We got a, we're going to chew through this, and really we're going to look at it from a bunch of different angles, and all of them important. I'm telling you, what happened last night on television, a bit of monoculture like we don't ever see anymore, where just the, the world seems to be watching one thing, and it's a shared experience, and it is going to ripple forward. And the ramifications of what happened on the air, I don't think we can really really assess what it means, but it's going to be big, I'm telling you. Plus, could I, could I just borrow a non-fungible token from you? Do you, have a, do you have a spare non-fungible token, an NFT? Have you ever, ever have this thing where, where you just notice something in the news and you think, well, what is that? And you don't, you don't really, like, well, do I need to learn what that's about? And the next thing you know, it's everywhere, all over the news today, non-fungible. Fungible tokens. What in the world? What is that thing? Coming up, we're going to learn all about it. I'm going to tell you what it is and why it's important. What in the world does the rock band Kings of Leon have to do with non-fungible tokens? But let's get back to those whiny, privileged powders making a money play. Harry and Meghan, of course. Now, that's one perspective. That's one way to look at what we saw last night. You know, we talked a lot about uh, caged chickens and caged royals. It was kind of a, you got your, your chicken coop and your caged royals all together. Now, what, what do you think when you hear this? There's a number one. Yeah, make it. I've never looked up my research. No. I've never looked up my husband online. I just didn't feel a need to because everything that I needed to know he was sharing with me, right? Everything that we thought I needed to know he was telling me. Really? That is how the interview 
kicked off last night. The interview, of course, with Oprah and with Meghan Markle, and then later comes in Harry. I'm sure he was, you know, watching it all behind the pillar. It's not like he was, you know, don't think he was just strolling by. I was just working. I was just, uh, you know, mowing the lawn. That didn't happen. Coming up, Shri Paradkar from the Toronto Star is going to join me with her perspective on the race angle. And coming up a little bit later, staunch monarchist and Toronto Sun columnist Christina Blizzard will be with me. And you can weigh in on whether or not it is time to get that family off our money. What is what is this family doing on our money anyway? When the whole thing begins with what you just heard there, which is, oh, I didn't do any research on my husband. I didn't, I didn't Google. Let's begin with a reaction from Sheba Siddiqui, my producer. Sheba, you're just top line. You're just your top reaction to what you saw on television. Alan, it was bombshell after bombshell. This was the TV that I needed. I wanted. <laughs> The way that started off with the clip you just played made me, first of all, it made me question Megan's credibility. Yes. Come on. You've yes. never Googled your boyfriend, your husband, the monarchy, the royal family. I don't believe that. There is no way. Especially a woman who is so smart, who's so organized. She had her blog, The Tig, beforehand. She knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. I she don't believe She knows what she's it. getting into. I, this is, this, Absolutely. I think, and this, I think, tinged the whole rest up. of it for me. No. Well, see, that starting it off that way, it just sort of, I don't know. So she went on to talk about her her and Kate's relationship to oh, her suicidal yeah. ideation. Yes. That was really tough for me to hear. Yes, we're going to talk uh, about that later. That that I mean, it's just so yes. many different things to look at this. But, of course, I, I, let's, let's just start here uh, with, I think, the top line, which is the, the big bombshell, and, and here it is. This is the clip. And also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. What? And who who is having that conversation with you? Who is having that conversation with you? That was a bombshell. And this is where I am telling you this is where I am beginning to tell you that this is important, right? Now, this is not, we are now moving way, way, way away from, you know, she made me cry because of the bridesmaids' dresses. I mean, whatever. I'm, who made whom cry? I, that, that washes over me. This is different. This is totally different. And then the question is, okay, who is having that conversation with you? Here is the answer to that from Meghan Markle. And you're not going to tell me who had the conversation? I think that would be very damaging to them. I think that would be very damaging to them. So therefore, I am not going to give you a name in other than saying it wasn't the Queen, but pretty much all the rest of them are guilty by association. Because I don't name one of them, I have named all of them. Now, this revelation, this bombshell, it come as a shock at all to anybody? I mean, if you, unlike Meghan Markle before she met, you know, Harry, if you ever Googled the royal family, 
you'd know a little bit about the background of that family. And does this come as a surprise? Shri Paradkar is a columnist with the Toronto Star. Shri, uh, what did you make of what you saw? Oh, hi, Alan. Um, I did not find it the slightest bit surprising, and that won't be a surprise to you. Uh, <laughs> because, because the Windsors have, for centuries, you know, lived well before Google, lived off the profits of racist exploitation of land and labor the world over. Right. So there's nothing. There was no chance that a family in whose name British colonialism and inhumane practices marched around the world, you know, it's premised on the supposed inferiority of people, was ever going to take Meghan on equal terms. So um, I, I find it surprising that Meghan didn't Google. Um, <laughs> We began our, our, our segment, Shree, talking about that taking away from some of the credibility overall of what she said after that. I I think so, and I should also preface our discussion today by saying that my only interest or my only sympathy with Megan is in terms of how she has had to navigate her uh, biracial or black identity in such, you know, the <laughs> originators of racism in in many ways uh and so that is where my sympathy lies there otherwise it's you know a fight between millionaires yeah um, and and i find it very interesting that you know they unlike a lot of people in the uk interracial couples they're not only able to leave but they're able to you know leave and live in such wealth right like they have received that kind of help from other rich people so so my sympathy is only on this front, you know, the the racism and what it means, its implications to mental health. Yes, certainly. And Sri, we're going to um, talk more about the mental health aspect because I think that's really an important uh, takeaway. And I think it was also important to note that that might have been triggering for uh, some people what they heard last night. Now, that's not a criticism. I'm just acknowledging that that is the case, that when we talk about uh, suicidal ideation, that can be a trigger. So just be be wary uh, of that, and I just say that just for our audience there to just just to be conscious of that. Mm-hmm. But um, w- w- by the the impact, and I think this is the strong impact here, uh, Shri, is, is about this sort of racist uh, allegation with no name attached to it, and what that what's that implication for that for the monarchy going forward? Okay, yeah, it wasn't Grandma, it wasn't the Queen. Uh, here is Oprah asking point blank to Harry, who said it? That conversation <laughs> I'm never going to share. Um, but at the time, at the time it was awkward. I was a bit shocked. Um, can, you, can you tell us what the question was? No, I don't, I'm not comfortable sharing that. Okay. Um, but that was, that was right at the beginning, right? Um, like what will the baby look like? Yeah, what will the kids look like? Yeah, what will the kids look like? That is uh, Harry last night and part of the conversation with Oprah on the line, Shree Paradkar from the uh, Toronto Star. That puts blame on all of them, Shree, and I think that has an implication, you know, down the line for whoever, you know, puts the crown on their head next. Um, Maybe. I don't believe that it will have any real effect. Hmm. Um, He did... He did say uh, to Oprah, Oprah said on CBC this morning that, not CBC, sorry, what is that? CBS. CBS. This yeah. morning that uh, yeah. 
that he did tell her that it wasn't um, his grandmother or his grandfather who has, you know, such a long history of racism. So he did tell her that. So, yeah, I'm okay with people, you know, wondering, is it Charles, is it Will? And what difference does it make? You know, but doesn't it, but doesn't it just smear them all? I'm just, I... I mean, why is it... It doesn't, really. It tells you that somebody said it. And, mm. and in fact, if you ask me, um, you know, as a person of color in Toronto, and I'll, I'll have stories about racism to share, but I wouldn't be able to go in public and say who said it, because then you're then it becomes it can become a legal issue and you can mm. be uh, sued for defamation and libel and if your only interest is in bringing out the issue of racism then there is no and usually because this is in a conversation and there is no proof of it how are you ever going to defend it so i can understand why he would not or they would not want to name who said it um, at the same time you know what what do we think is going to happen? We are assuming that people are going to be so repulsed by this idea that some one person said something or implied something racist. I mean, no, we are we are we live in a world where we benefit from racism. Why would we be? You know, we might have a momentary shock, and maybe that you know it's it's like with our prime minister in blackface. I mean, it didn't stop him huh. from winning the election. Really? Oh, that's that's an interesting comparison, Sri. That's very, very interesting. You, you, so your your takeaway from last night and and the race angle is, but as much, you know, it, it, as much implication and going forward as blackface when Trudeau. I think so because because we are all basically we are all comfortable with racism. We just don't want to be called racist, but we are comfortable because that's the system that we benefit from. So. You know, sure, you know, there is a certain thing to being called racist, but I, I think, you know, there is, you know, curiosity around who would have said it. Uh, but the fact that I think any of them could have said it is telling in itself. The fact that we are not able to say, oh, Charles would never have said it, Camilla would never have said it, Kate would never have said it, Will would never. We are not able to say that. That is, to me, the more telling part than who said it. Shree, thank you so much. I appreciate your perspective. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. That is Shree Paradkar, who is a columnist with the Toronto Star. Thanks for listening. This is Alan Carter. Make sure you tune in weekdays at noon for the Alan Carter Radio Program.